You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. Episode 185, Charlotte's Web. So many tears for a spider. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Hello, hello. We're your hosts. I'm Morgan Stradling. And I'm Chelsea Robson. And we are excited to be back for another episode of the Animation Addicts podcast. This time we are reviewing an old 70s classic. And boy, does this have a 70s vibe to it. Oh, yeah. Charlotte's Web from 1973. But before we do that, Chelsea, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Morgan. How are you? Pretty great. It's Friday when we're recording this. So we are. Everybody yeah, loves yeah. Friday. You don't <laughs> love Friday. I don't know what's wrong with you. Fridays are great. Beginning, <laughs> almost the beginning of the weekend. And I go on a beach trip tomorrow. So really, where are you going? Better. We're going to San Diego. Oh, nice. So yeah. Yeah. My mom, we do this every two years. We do a family beach trip. And my mom, she reserves it a year in advance because that's just how she is. Right, right. And um, unfortunately, a month before, you know, so she booked it. Everything was good. Like, then she can relax. She's just always so nervous that it's going to fill up, right? Right. Like, I think as soon as you can do it is basically a year in advance. You can start booking on Airbnb type Uh websites. And yeah, a month ago we got an email that our reservation had been canceled because a homeowner or property owner decided that they were pulling out their contract with um, the the vacation rental company that we did. You know, okay. And so that's really frustrating and stressful, yeah. but luckily we were able to find another place. Um, I'm hoping that it's good. Our other one was just amazing. It was literally like 50 steps from the beach. It oh, was nice. so perfect, but that's okay. It'll still be great. We're going to the beach and I can't wait. I need a, I need a beach trip. That's what I need. I mean, we live in Arizona. It's so easy to find a beach, you know, just a few hours away. It's My true. Sister, I swear she's gone to the beach like three or four times this summer. Um, socially distancing, of course. <laughs> Do you are smart like that? Yeah. She, uh, she's a teacher. So, you know, why hang out here when it's 110 degrees? Why don't, you know, if her friends go on trips with their family, she just tags along. So especially if girl. she's only like teaching maybe one hour a day now <laughs> right. via Skype, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. if that were my gig of like, sweet, heading to Mexico. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, when, when we say going to Mexico, like Rocky Point is really, Rocky Point is a, is the closest beach probably to us. About four hours us. away from, yeah. yeah. So that's what we mean by that. It's like, sweet, another beach. So yep, yep, yep. Not going to Mexico City. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to our newest patrons. We have Matthew, 
Chad, Jessica, and Esther. Woohoo! So a ton of new patrons have joined within the past month or two, and we want to give a big Roto welcome to you guys. Thank you so much for joining and for supporting the show. We have bonus episodes. For example, one that will be released by the time this comes out is our review of the Into the Unknown documentary, the six-part documentary about the making of Frozen, the one that was supposed to be on the Blu-ray features, and everyone wondered, where was it? Why isn't there a making of? Now you know. They were holding out for Disney+, Plus, and wow, did they hold out, and it is fantastic. So if you want to hear our thoughts, consider becoming a patron to check out that and other goodies. Like we, every little bonus podcast that we do is different. Sometimes we'll do a call-in show. Sometimes we'll do trivia night with the patrons. Sometimes we'll just do a Roto rewatch where we rewatch an episode that we've already reviewed on the podcast. Sometimes it's a commentary where the three of us are just sitting and basically talking through a movie and you watch the movie along with us. You push play at the right amount of time. So a lot of really fun stuff as part of becoming a patron. So if you're interested and you want to check out our perks, go to rotoscopers.com slash patron. Sweet. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything. No, everything's PG. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. Cybersecurity declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Oh, we've got lots in common where it really counts, where it really counts. We've got large amounts. Okay, so we're going in to, we don't have an early couch discussion today, but I have, we are going to be talking about the movie Charlotte's Web. This is originally done in 1973 and it was actually came so I wanted to do more of a nerdy couch spotlight I guess like sometimes we'll do director's spotlights or anything I wanted to do a small you know very short but uh, a small spotlight on the writer of the book Charlotte's Web what was amazing to me is this book originally came out in 1952 uh, E.B. White is the name of the author and he his first book was Stuart Little which that one has also stood the test of time. Right. And the third book he did was The Trumpet of the Swan. I'm not as familiar with that one, but I feel like I've read it. I have not read that. He wrote these books for children, but before he, he did that, he worked in a lot of print magazines and he worked in a lot of like marketing too, which I thought was very interesting because as I'm going through like this whole Charlotte, who's the spider, like she's the best marketer I have ever seen. <laughs> and I just realized I'm like, oh, because E.B. White, he was a marketer and he had a way with words and he loved to be able to put his spin on on children's fiction and kind of like elevate it to in a way and so in 1952 was when he let this out and he ended up getting the Newbery Medal for Charlotte's Web and this book continues to get prestige so in 1960 it's the American Academy of Arts and Gold and Letters Gold Medal in 1963 Presidential Medal of Freedom I mean wow. 
it just keeps going. 1970, Laura, Laura Ingalls Wilder Award, 71, National Medal of Literature, 77. I mean, it just keeps going all the way to 2012. The School Library Journal sponsored a survey of readers, which identified Charlotte's Web as the best, meaning number one, children's novel, fiction title for readers nine through 12 years old. And the librarian who conducted it said, it is impossible to conduct a poll of this sort and expect White's novel to be anywhere but number one. Wow, that's actually kind of interesting because that was in 2012. So we're definitely into the age of Harry Potter. Yeah. And for this novel to still rank number one from that age category is really fantastic and shows just how timeless this novel is. Yeah. Did you read it growing up? I read it growing up. And as I was watching the movie to prepare for this, I'm like, dang it, I should have reread it. Cause I, you yeah. know, I love doing that. Um, but I did not get the chance. I think I will still go and read it because it's pretty short. I think it's about 192 pages. Obviously it's targeted as a children's novel. So it's much shorter and pretty easy to get through. And I was reading that there actually is a long, there was a long last ver- audiobook version where E.B. White himself is reading. Really? Yeah. And it's supposed to be actually uh, very emotional. They say, you know, don't read it in your car or listen to it in your car because you will definitely have tears. Apparently it's uh, a very just emotional reading of the book from the author who obviously understands and has his vision of how different things were supposed to come across. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to be on the hunt for that version. Please do. And let me know all the types. Let's, let's just go to the source. I love, I absolutely love, um, books that are read the, by the author, particularly autobiographies. I feel like they have to be read by the author because it's so intrinsic to them, Mm -hmm. but others I'm always open to. Yeah. It's just, you can tell there's so many things about this man that really bleed into this, the story. And one thing like different people were talking about him and said that he was super shy, like super shy, you know, shout out to all the introverts out there. Um, he, there's a quote in, I'm reading off of Wikipedia, his page, and it says, so in her foreword to Charlotte's Web, Kate DiCamillo writes, she quotes White as to have said, all I hope to say in books, all that I ever hope to say is that I love the world. And like how, like he's such a, a tender and, uh, just very sensitive person. And White also loved animals and farms and farming and seasons and the weather. So he was obviously very, um, he was much more of a, of a nature guy than a people guy. And other people continued to say that, you know, most of us out of politeness made up of faintly curiosity and profound resignation, go out to meet the smiling stranger with a gesture of surrender and a fixed grin. But White has always taken to the fire escape. He has always avoided the the man in the reception room. He has always avoided the interviewer, the photographer, the microphone, the rostrum, the the literary tea, and the stork club. His life is his own. He is the only writer of prominence I know who could walk through the Algonquin lobby or between the tables at Jack and Charlie's and only be recognized by his friends. And I was just like, it's very interesting how he was just not a man. He he was definitely a shout out to the introverts out there. Just wanting to be able to put out his 
of his books. And I, I felt like I wanted to read specifically the one where he says that all I ever hope to say is that I love the world. I feel like that is the thing that comes through the most in this story is the love between friends, the love between characters and uh, how it really does propel the story. All of our information is coming from IMDb, Wikipedia, and wherever we can find basically random sources. Uh, but most of them, if come they from are that. random sources, we will be linking them in the we, show notes. Yeah, we do, for sure. So anyway, that was my small little thing about him. Just how he, I feel like his whole spirit comes through very much through this book, uh, in lots of different characters. Like for example, Fern. Uh, she, there's a quote in the movie that I'm sure was taken where they said that Fern was quiet and all the animals loved her because she was soft and she was the quiet one and everyone, everyone came up. I'm like, it's probably you. <laughs> like, you're probably that guy too, that all the animals just loved you because you were a, a comfort to go to. Perfect. All right. Shall we go into our main discussion? Yeah. Chin up, put a little laughter in your eyes, brave it, save it, even though you're feeling otherwise, rise up, wise up, make a little smile begin, you'll be happy hearted once you get it started up with your chinny chin chin. All right, let's jump into our main discussion. I am really excited to talk about Charlotte's Web. Let's talk about some basic info about the film to set the stage. This, of course, comes from Box Office Mojo, IMDb, Wikipedia, and all other great sources, which we will link in the show notes. So the studio is Hanna-Barbera Productions. And there was another studio that was involved. They were the ones that initially had the rights. It was called Sagittarius Productions. So at the very beginning, when I was first watching this, it said a Hanna-Barbera, Hanna-Barbera-Sagittarius Productions <laughs> feature. And I'm like, oh, wow, uh, where did the Sagittarius came in? But it's because it was the two. It wasn't that they, they bought this new studio. It was instead that the two studios were working together as part of it. Sagittarius Productions, after quite a pretty rough uh, switching hands, as is very common with movie scripts and especially uh, gaining rights to literary pieces. Uh, it just doesn't end up working out with one studio. It moves to another studio. The rights eventually expire and move to another studio and eventually land in the hands of Hannah Barbera, which we are very familiar with, especially during this time. They were a household name by the 70s. So the directors was Charles Nichols and Iweo Takamoto. He was very famous director and producer for Hanna-Barbera. He really only has two director credits to his name. He was a supervising director for Jetsons, a movie, and Charlotte's Web was his main director's credit. But he was a producer basically from 1973 onward uh, through the nineties. Eventually he died in 2007, but worked through the nineties for a variety of the Hanna-Barbera productions. So had a really fantastic career. And so the release date of this film was March 1st, 1973. It was, it was initially supposed to come out in 1972, but they pushed it to March. So that way it wouldn't face direct competition with Disney's Robin Hood, which was going to come out in November was when it was initially supposed to come out. Now the box office, I'm getting different reports all over the place. One says $5.2 million. I saw another one that said $2.4 million. And then it hmm. says quote rentals. And like, that yeah, doesn't, well. that's not your box office. So obviously <laughs> this was the not necessarily the early days of uh, cinema and animation, but it, it was not as much of a 
machine as it is now where we know everything uh, like literally to the day you can go to box office mojo and see how much a movie did uh, yesterday in box office reports and there's just a whole industry around it now but We'll say 5.2 and call it good from there. <laughs> we'll just, yeah. I mean, it makes um, sense. Again, but- it was nearly, it was nearly 50 years ago. So inflation and just different time, different era. Right. Well, and also, uh, the fact that you said the rental though, I think rentals, it probably had way more, uh, longevity than it did in theaters. Right. I was actually reading, on Wikipedia, of course, because it just summarizes everything so well. But the the movie was initially released in VHS six years later in 1979. And my mind was kind of just blown. I'm like, VHS was around in 1979. To me, it was always a very 80s thing, mm-hmm. but it had a few more re-releases. But the 1993 VHS release just blew everything out of the water. It was the number one VHS release in 1993 oh, wow. and I had it so I had it too. I'm pretty sure we have the 1993 version and I always watch this movie we have a ton of VHS but this was one that I, I grew up with and I would would go back to and I never felt bored by this movie it's 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 a very straightforward film with straightforward concepts and mm-hmm. themes but because it's not adults that are talking about these big themes of death and friendship, you know, it, which w- might lose itself on an audience. Instead, they he smartfully changes the characters to something that's a little bit more relatable to children, which is animals. And children are very attracted to animals and relate to animals. And so having these characters that are animals that are able to speak and we're experiencing these major themes through them uh, makes it both relatable to adults and children. So yeah, it's it's no reason that the book has stood the test of time, but also the movie. I, I was really surprised watching this, how enjoyable it was. Um, mm-hmm. There were pieces that I didn't necessarily love, but we will talk about that. Yeah. All right, let's 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 watch the trailer. When animals can talk and a spider can save a pig's life. If people start doubting the miracle, do you think my life will still be saved? Most definitely not. I hate to keep bothering you, but... You're no bother to me, Wilbur. You are my one true friend. Isn't it great that I articulate? Isn't it grand? That you can understand I don't run, I don't point I don't even squeak or squawk When I want to say a something I open up and talk I can talk, I can talk, talk, talk I can talk I used to think the sum of one and one was two It's a musical love story the entire family can enjoy together Don't let your children miss Charlotte's Web Oh, thanks. Is is it a love story though? I'm, uh, <laughs> I not mean, in the, when you think love story, you think romantic love, right? I do at least, and I, I think do this, too. this is a love story, but in a totally different way, more platonic. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, very uh, that pure. Was an interesting trailer. That was hilarious. Um, <laughs> you could tell it was for the VHS too. It had the VHS in the corner. It's like, oh, that definitely <laughs> sounded like the VHS. Uh, guy in the in the narration too like like i've heard his voice before so one of the first things that really stood out in this movie was 
the songs. You know, at this point in time, Disney has established the animated feature as having songs. And a lot of studios feel that they have to follow suit, right? And so even though this wasn't necessarily a Disney production, they brought on the Sherman brothers, Richard and Robert Sherman. No better team write the songs, right? Because at this point, while Disney had died, they, you know, while the Sherman brothers were very much Disney's guys, that didn't stop them from doing other features and other very famous uh, pieces of cinema like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So here they are. They are brought back for quite a few songs. There's There Must Be Something More. I Can Talk, Chin Up. We've got lots in common. Deep in the Dark slash Charlotte's Web. Wait, are those like songs? Yeah. This is the soundtrack. Deep in the Dark, Charlotte's Web, that's a song? Well, Charlotte's Web is the... Right, but that's not a... It's not like a lyric. Hold on. Ah, the Sherman Brothers wiki. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta love those wikis. Um, There were eight songs that they ended up writing for this movie which was quite a lot and yeah that's a lot one of, the, one of the first things that I thought as I was re-watching this there were definitely parts where I really enjoyed the songs and I remember the songs and other times that I felt okay but do we need a song for that what is <laughs> doing a song right now it felt to be honest the film is your traditional hunt hour and 30 minute length but it really did feel like some of the songs were filler just because I got to sing. <laughs> I can talk. Yeah. And that, and that song. In, yeah. That song in particular really was very, very indicative of the Sherman brothers. If yeah. you look at all of the lyrics, it definitely reminded me of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Like, but just all of oh. the various words that he uses is, yeah. is interesting. And it's kind of funny because he uses, he's, speaking for the very first time in the song but all of the words that he uses you know are very advanced you know loquacity veracity <laughs> dramatically perspicacity egotistically wondrous and i mean that's almost how charlotte would speak so yeah i understand what they were trying to do here like why don't <laughs> we use literally all the words of the thesaurus for speaking but it just really felt off for the character <laughs> that he he had just learned how to speak, which that was confusing to me. Yeah. He was an animal. Like, there's so much to go with. And, you know, we're obviously going to be nitpicking some of these things that, that we find funny. Um, you know, but he's with Fern the whole time. He really doesn't have any association with animals. And so he's very familiar with, with the human world. So when he moves over to the Zuckerman's farm, he's never spoken before. It's, but at the same time, we know that he's been making pig sounds. Yeah. And so I I was just confused. I'm like, what is the distinction here? If you can make pig sounds, then you're speaking. And it it is almost as if he needed to learn like the universal language for all the animals, which of course was English. Um, Well, I didn't understand what was, I didn't understand what was going on there. I'm like, why does he have to learn how to speak? Like, it's obvious that he can make pig noises and he's, like we're not learning English here because that's what even in that trailer it's like talking animals like well (laughs) yeah not with the humans like they talk with each other which is like very understood in movies and whatnot but like the animals can understand each other that's cool but well but the fern the child can understand all of them too see 
it, can she though? I always just thought that was just her. Yeah, you're right. Because there's very, very specific things that, <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. There's very specific <laughs> plot points that she goes back and she tells her family later, there's a spider named Charlotte. So I, I kind of, in my mind, always interpreted that as she had created these stories, um, in her mind, but nope, that's, she definitely understands everything that's going on. No, she understands. And I think that's kind of to show a little bit of like kids, childhood innocence innocence actually does understand more than the adults. And the adults are the ones that are thinking that you're crazy just because it's like, just because they can't hear it anymore. Right. And that actually is one of the big themes of the film is this, which I love the book and the different themes that it's able to convey. And one of them is just innocence. And that's really displayed by Fern, where she's very much a child at the beginning. When it comes to, we have to kill the pig. She just is completely distraught and doesn't understand why do we have to do this? And he's the dad in the adults, you know, that's just the way that's as when you're an adult, you understand that like, this is food and this is the purpose of the pig. Um, but she being a child and being very innocent reacts it gets very upset with the idea of that but then eventually as she grows older she moves on from that we see her moving from childlike things to being interested in boys and you know not having as much of an attachment to the animals as she's moving on in her life yeah well also there's for people who've never grown up around farm life or around any type of uh agriculture (laughs) they have a very difficult time uh, understanding what it is to like to have a farm and to like, you want your, a farmer will always treat his animals very well because that is just what they do. They treat their animals very well, but it's also in, in this case, because it was the runt, their mentality is I'm not going to be able to get in there and and help this pig. And so it's just going to end up dying anyway, because all of the other animals are going to take up all of the space and he'll never be able to fend for itself really. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, they are seeing that it's a, a sense of I'm, I'm actually doing Saving something it from pain. Yeah. So suffering. there's, there's the way of like, okay, this, this pig is going to suffer. It's going to basically starve to death if I don't, because I'm not there to take care of it. So because so he was like, all right, well, if you can take care of it, then you can take care of it. Go for it. Because um, it's funny, it, though. I'm like, can you? OK, yeah, you have a run, but can't you just like give it a little food on the side? <laughs> yeah, like, this is your this sure. you this you are a you make money from this animal. So immediately you're just going to chop it up and make some bacon like, hello, just give it some food. And then what you can make however much money down the road because you put a little extra effort into giving it some milk or some food until it was able to fend for itself. It just seemed like very quickly, like, Oh, we got to run, get the X. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely see that, but it also, you have to look at, uh, the farmer's day, like how much time does this farmer have right. in the day? And some farmers are able to do that depending on what their, what their size of their farm is, but some of them aren't. And so it's, you know, it's kind of a, a there in their way. It's a, I'm looking at the world in a very pragmatic view, um, but still mercy with mercy in that way. So it's hard. Like I, I have to say also that I did not grow up on a working farm. 
but I did grow up around a lot of animals and I did grow up with a lot uh, around a lot of farmers. And so I did. I had a Mr. and Mrs. Pig. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Pig. Oh, he was funny. Like he, my dad. Okay. My just a side story. Uh, My dad is like the most romantic type, nice guy you'd probably ever meet. And one day I, I walk over and I'm like surveying the animals and we have an additional pig. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why do we have another? We had, so miss, we had the Mr. Pig and now we have a, a, a who is all black and then the, the white, uh, this all white pig. I'm like, okay, I didn't just imagine this. Where did this pig come from? And I talked to my dad. I would go over and ask him. I'm like, where did this, where did it come from? And he's like, well, Mr. Pig was just such a lonely guy. And so I, they were trying to get rid of it. And I said, you know, yeah, we need a, we need a friend for Mr. Pig. <laughs> I was like, oh, good job, dad. <laughs> it, it was just super sweet. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking at it, it's, it's hard. If you haven't grown up around like the agriculture way, don't judge it before you understand it is my main point. Uh, because it's very easy for somebody who would has never been around any of this, has no idea what like daily actions I'm doing to be able to make this all work and to, to help these animals. Like it's very easy to just completely come out and judge and be like, you know, cancel culture. Right. So it's, it's one of those things like before you judge this, like you really, you have to understand it. So Take a minute yeah. to understand it. Nonetheless, Fern has grow up, grown up on a farm her entire life. Yeah, but she's so, like, how old is she? Like eight or nine, isn't she? It's not like she's three. No, yeah. <laughs> I understand. I mean, what, what they're trying to do, which is funny. It was like, I think she's been around this a bit, but nonetheless, still sensitive, which is needed. Um, well, I mean, around that age is when you become more aware, too. Like when she was three or four, she wasn't aware of all of the ins and outs of what was going on. It was just happening around her too. So she's at the point where she's become aware of her, her surroundings. She's become aware of all of the injustices in the world and she's wanting to uh, do her part. So go Fern. Yeah. The theme of death is something that's very, uh, is, is throughout this film and we see it in a variety of ways, you know? And so initially we see Fern and her dismay of Wilbur being killed. And then Wilbur likewise very much has this anxiety towards death. He's always kind of thinking about it and fearing it. Um, and then we have Charlotte who really is just this wise spider who understands the realities of life and has accepted it. And she's really trying to help Wilbur also understand the world, but she's, this savior in a way where she's able to help him and do everything that she can to, to elongate his life. You know, one of the things that we learn in this film is that death is inevitable. It can be prolonged, but it it can't be stopped. Mm -hmm. Um, And even Charlotte in, in the very end, she, you know, as, and I, I researched like the different, she's a barn spider makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as is as common is they live for about a year or two and then they mate, they lay their eggs and they die immediately after. And that is just the way. And she has accepted the realities of life and she is very graceful about it. And so we see the different perspective of death and what's happening. Um, even there's just very small ways that death is 
introduced, you know, there's the rotten egg and, and how, mm-hmm. you know, that life was never to come to be. And everyone's kind of accepted what, what's happening there. But Wilbur always is the one who's very frantic about anything that's happening with death and change. Even though change is constant, change is always happening around them. We see the seasons change and we see, you know, new life is born and then life ends and, and nothing, like it, it, it's always this constant flow. Um, you know, he moves from the farmer's house to Zuckerman's house. You know, there's, there's just a lot of change that is, en- that ends up happening throughout this, which I, I loved seeing that, um, and having that be displayed like so simply, you know, very, very simply are these concepts able mm-hmm. to be understood. Yeah. You know, when I first grew up watching this, I, I mean, I, I watched this movie so many times. I I realized as I was going back this time, I haven't watched this since I was, I mean, at least middle school. I mean, probably prior to that. But if if I've watched it since then, I'd be really surprised. Um, even then, as this movie goes on, there's certain songs that come on that I'm, I find myself, I know every single word. <laughs> it's all filed back there. Just like, whoa, this is all there. And I remember I was having this discussion with my uncle, not you know, several years ago, but we were just talking about different other movie, childhood movies that we liked. And, and I brought this one up and I was just like, you know, it's such a sad, it's sad, but it's also just so good. And, and he actually shed another light on it too, that I had never thought about. And then this time going in, that's all I could think about is as, as you mentioned, um, she's a bit of a savior type character. And when you're looking at someone like E.B. White, who grew up or at least was writing all of these things post-World War II, the the country, the United States specifically, was very pro-God. And everyone had a basis, not everyone, but the high majority had a Christian Judeo principle base. Okay, Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't uncommon to see people in their writing about, um, especially at that time, their writing that kind of has a type of a savior figure or a God, like type of what maybe how God would do things. And um, it was just so beautiful because as you're watching this, like Charlotte really has nothing to gain by helping Wilbur. Mm-hmm. And at the end, she goes through and she just says, you know, I realize that my life in and of itself, I kill these these bugs and that's I play my part because if there weren't spiders, then there would be too many bugs and the bugs would take over the world. So it's a balancing act. Um, but she just has this moment of where she's like, you know, I just wanted to lift my own life by uh, by seeing your life lifted as well. And I just. Ah, I ugly cried through most of the end of this whole thing. That's actually a good point that she, one, she normalizes death throughout the film Uh through her eating the bugs. Yeah. Um, He has a really hard time with it initially and even asks her to eat it, you know, when she's away or, you know, she, she suggests that, okay, maybe I'll eat, I will eat this when you're gone or when you're sleeping. And, but throughout the film, we see her catching bugs and eating bugs, which is just the way of life. I mean, that is the circle of life. Right. And then, yeah, but, and you're, you're saying like, she didn't really have a purpose and, and Wilbur gave her that. And I think that's where the, the theme of friendship comes in and this unlikely friendship between a spider and a pig. Um, she really had no reason to be his friend except for he needed the friend. 
Yeah. He was inconsolable. He had moved to this new situation and he was trying to make friends. You know, he was really, I mean, he's only what, like two weeks old, but very much <laughs> domesticated in a way. And so didn't yeah. know necessarily how, how the farm works and the, the power dynamics of the different animals, right. you know, you see the one, the sheep who's just like, we are, we are sheep, you know, we deliver the wool and you, you're nothing, you know, and just very quickly, the, the, the system of hierarchy is established that the pigs are kind of at the bottom along with the rats and, and the sheep. I mean, let's be real sheep. Sheep are not <laughs> the top of the totem pole as far oh, as the barnyard not. animals, like sheep are definitely dumb. the horse. And, yeah. The horse and the cow, yeah. they are up at the top. Okay. So I know you're trying to <laughs> hurt your dominance, but, <laughs> but you know, he comes to this totally new world, which he is not familiar with um, because he's domesticated in a way. And so he's having to learn how to adapt to this new world. And he thinks like, okay, well, I was friend with a human, so I can easily be friends with all these other people. And it's not allowed for, for say, like, and, and she, Charlotte being the most unlikely of them all, it befriends him and, and really consoles him and, and helps him. So I thought that was very sweet. Yeah. I read on IMDb that E.B. White was actually super reluctant to like have any film version of this book because especially in an animated film, because he feared that the studios would remove or censor the darker nature side, or like, for example, let Charlotte survive. Like, ah, she just went away (laughs) (laughs) instead of, uh, which was something that he was strongly against. And, um, the, he just really wanted to, the, the whole basis of the story is trying to help kids deal with issues of loss and grief and death. And, just those like helping kids us uh normalize it in that way of like being like it's okay you know it's part of this bigger plan and um yeah i i just felt like that was good i liked it <laughs> yeah i also read that he was very disappointed with what this version of the film was and, and oh, really? apparently yeah it was like i i'm upset that we ended up doing with Hanna-Barbera. There were a few other studios that he really wanted to be the one to do it and was always kind of calling back to that and and felt that they kind of just filled, ruined the story with unnecessary kind of dopey songs. <laughs> um, but however, despite all of that, yes, there are songs and they are very like kitty in a way. There's a few that are pretty sentimental and real, but I feel that from what I remember of the original book that a lot of the elements of the book, majority of them are there. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not tempered down. It's very true to the morals and the themes and the, the morals and the themes of the book. So, you know, when I think of this film and when a lot of people think of this film, it's, it's sadness, right? Because it, yeah. it goes there and it's really able to evoke those emotions from you and tell you these themes. So I really appreciate this film. I mean, you look at it on the surface, like Charlotte's web and you think like, Oh, kid, kid movie, but it's really a lot deeper than that. Oh, it's so deep. Well, and then you look at also, um, (laughs) when he finally goes to the farm and he meets Charlotte and then she's decided that she's going to, I'm, I decided I'm going to help you and I am going Mm -hmm. to, like, she doesn't have, there's no need for her to do this, but the, (laughs) <laughs> the fact that she decides to do it and then overnight she's spinning her web and then this whole song, I just remember that song being one that I was like, 
Um, let's fast forward because <laughs> it was a minor key, which, you know, always made you a little uneasy. And then also it was really slow and it was just a lot of like toiling, you know, a lot of like artistic stuff. So as a kid, I was like, fast forward. <laughs> but this time as I was going through, I listened to, I went and I, I read along with some of the lyrics and there's one lyric that I think is the crux of the entire story is involved in one line that says, sometimes when somebody loves you, miracles somehow appear. I felt like that is really what the crux of this movie is, or of the whole story, is through the love of somebody, a completely selfless love to towards somebody else, miracles appear. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's just so cool. Let's talk about those miracles. Okay. So, so the miracle ultimately is that to save his life, and she, she sits and ponders on this for a while and ultimately comes to, this is what I'm going to do. And she's going to spin a web and in it, it's going to have a word that describes Wilbur and people will see it. And over time, in order to keep the attention and to prolong his life, she has to do this numerous times. So the first one is some pig, (laughs) which I was like, okay some pig i know it's so funny but like that's the most memorable out of all of them then there's terrific which obviously you remember because of terrific 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 that is a quotable quote from this film yeah then there is radiant and i'm like "Hmm, okay sure (laughs) (laughs) and then the very last one is humble which humble has two meanings. And so I think it's really funny that Charlotte, she, I mean, like we said before, she should have been the ones singing the the phrase or the song. I can talk because she is this linguist. She has a mastery over the language and is, is very smart. And every single time she's like, people go find me some words, go find me a paper clipping. And I'm like, you very clearly can you know the English dictionary yourself? You are so incredibly smart. And uh, yet they're always on this hunt to find a word that will represent Wilbur. Like she's never the one really to come up with it other than good pig or not some pig. (laughs) Yeah. I I just thought that was weird. And also, can we talk? This is, it just never, ever made sense to me. She's the one performing the miracle Right. Yet they always attribute it to the pig. And there's the the wife of Zuckerman calls it out at the very beginning. She's like, no, that's an incredible spider. And then Zuckerman's like, no, that's a crazy some pig, you know, and and she loses the argument over that. And then from here on out, it just becomes, wow, look at that fantastic pig. And I'm like, are, can you guys not see <laughs> pigs don't spin webs? It's right. not the pig. Yes, the spider is calling out the pig and helping you to focus on that, but we should be focusing on this miraculous spider who can spell (laughs) and write. (laughs) But but that's the thing is like they say that they think that there's no way a spider could, and therefore it's a miracle. And the whole thing it's like the (laughs) the the mystic powers or the mystic things are happening around us. Oh yeah, what does he say at the very end? supernatural yes the supernatural it's like okay but i mean going back it's like you think about you put this on like on a daily how how do i apply this in my daily well every time you see somebody say something nice about somebody else it shifts the 
the focus onto the person. But at the same time, if you think about it, the person who said the kind thing or the thing that like lifted somebody else, they have to have like that lifts them more than it does the person, but not very many people notice that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I just, I, I, yeah, like that as far as Miss, Mrs. Zuckerberg, I'm like, she's being gaslighted. <laughs> He's like, no, it's not. <laughs> she totally is. Cause they just, they just move on. But I understand to, they, they, they move on very quickly and say it's a miracle. And then they, all they do is focus on the pig. Yeah. But I, I like to think about, this is the moment where it really is short. It showed that this story is not about Wilbur and mm-hmm. it is, it is about Charlotte. And it's about her and her ability to be completely selfless and to lift up others and to give everything that she is to mm-hmm. him. Like she, mm-hmm. she goes to the fair. She go like she, the only thing that she does for herself is to lay her, like is to eat and lay her, lay her eggs. And yeah. even then laying her eggs is not her for her. Mm-hmm. It ultimately kills her, but, and it's not really for her. That is her magnum opus. That is her, her thing that she's counted every soul, which, you know, takes back to like a, a, a God reference. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking up mm-hmm. every, like Wilbur is kind of like us and Charlotte's kind of like the, you know, the supernatural presence, you know, it's the, it's yeah. the God presence of, we look up, we depend completely on that power above and, we reckon, we, you know, we need to recognize that. Um, but it's, it's the, like, there's just so many parts when I, when I first went in and, and watched this completely from that angle, like, Oh, it killed me. I have a, honestly ugly cry for like 15 minutes, <laughs> but I just loved it. Cause I had never really thought about it as a kid as this is not a story about Wilbur. This is a story about Charlotte. You know, one of the things that stood out to me in this film was the voice acting. Mm, I feel that the yeah. voice acting and the performances are very, very strong. Very strong. You know, Wilbur, Wilbur is very emotive and has a very distinct voice and he expresses, you know, the depths of his soul and anxiety and sadness and then happiness. And he's kind of all over the place as far as his dynamic range. And then Charlotte is just this soothing presence. As soon as I heard her voice, I was like, ah, oh, I remember you. You are a calming, happy spider, you know, existence. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the different performances from, from a variety of the characters. So I really liked that. Yeah. If you look at, okay. So the first one is Debbie Reynolds. She did the voice of Charlotte, which oh, rip Debbie Reynolds. Um, her voice, her acting voice is just, it's so full of life. And that is really indicative of the time too, of the, of the, classical training that they had. I also read on IMDb that she donated this. Like she didn't charge because she wanted to be Charlotte. Oh, wow. And I just thought, wow. Because so did you ever see the 2000, the, the live action version that came out a couple of years ago? Well, I did not. I didn't either. It was 2006 and Julia Roberts played Charlotte. And I just was listening to, as I listened to the, the trailer of it, Julia Roberts, I mean, I respect the lady, but she didn't have the same amount of love that exuded from her performance in the trailer that I expected from this 
uh, Debbie Reynolds' performance because, like, every word that Charlotte said in the 1973 with Debbie Reynolds. Uh, it was just like you could just feel the the care. You could feel the love that exudes. And uh, for the other ones, I don't know. I just I felt like it was a let's see how much we can do with our with, with technical aspects. Let's focus on the yeah. technical side as opposed to like the simplicity of the story is all about like these basic principles. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I have no interest in seeing the newer one. I, f- I feel like this one's so classic. And of course, you always say that about the original or the one that you grew up with. It's not necessarily the original. I, it really is the one you grew up with is the one that you love a lot of the time. Yeah. So that's probably, I don't know, maybe one of these days, well, I don't know. That's not really considered, that's live action. So occasionally from time to time, guys, we will review live action films on this podcast if it's, you know, related to an animated film. It's like a live action remake. We will do those, but, uh, sometimes we'll just review live action films uh, for our patrons that have nothing to do with animation just because. So another just because reason we like them, <laughs> I mean, I've been really trying to get a twilight rewatch going <laughs> and I know that's going to get all the, all the potential patrons coming in droves. Oh, like, oh yes. my gosh, they're going to do twilight. <laughs> yes. Sign me up. I'm, yeah. I, I realize that may not be the case, but I've been trying to be like, I really, I've, I've done the rewatch and I want to do it again. And <laughs> it's, a few of the patrons are interested. So I'm like, yeah, we had at least okay. one. I mean, yeah. So one. Yeah. That's <laughs> green light it. Let's go. <laughs> the thing is we would have done this without the one, <laughs> but, uh, we probably should, uh, maybe do one that has more universal appeals to the patrons, you know, since they yeah. are supporting us. Right. For sure. But anyway. Okay. I, I also want to bring up Paul Lind who did the voice of Templeton. I love his voice. <laughs> and apparently they had somebody they had somebody else doing it before and it, his voice was a lot more like when he did the, the fair song, it was, his voice was a lot more operatic and like his voice just was a lot less scummy. <laughs> like Templeton, like Paul and I love the man, but his voice just really does have a real, like, like egotistical way about it. Like, I'm just like, you totally fit this part. Good job, man. <laughs> Yeah, he is. He's definitely the seedy underbelly of the farm. You know, he lives underneath the pig's trough. And while a lot of these characters do, some characters have an arc, uh, he really doesn't. I was thinking about him. And Templeton, even at the very, very end, when just Wilbur is beside himself and they need to get the spider egg sack moved back to the farm. And Templeton, who'd been been friends with Charlotte or an acquaintance, at least, you know, he had this, he was very familiar with her and you think he'd created this bond, especially with, with Wilbur, you know, getting all the food and whatnot. But even he was, you know, not this altruistic guy at the end, he had to say, well, what's in it for me? Like very Mm -hmm. true to character through the end. There was no moment where he's like, yes, I'll do this for you. And I'll, or I'll do this for Charlotte. It was, well, what can I get out of this? And so he does this like crazy negotiation that he gets first dibs of all the food from here until the rest of eternity. I'm like, I don't know about that, but it was just interesting how he didn't grow at all. He was always one note. The only, I guess, change that he had is he had a family. (laughs) Which even that was like, what the? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was like, well, everyone's got to procreate. So why not you? 
you know, so we see this lady friend appear and, and that's one thing that don't actually talk about with Charlotte. Like, well, who was the guy <laughs> that would have created too many questions. So, um, yeah, she just appears with, with the eggs at the end and then quickly dies and, you know, basically rips our heart in half. So yeah. Right. That, there we go. Yeah. I mean, like Paul, like that, that character I feel like is, is really used to show the difference between somebody who is altruistic and somebody who is all out for themselves. And for kids, like you want to kind of have that be a, some, some type of a, of a juxtaposition, like to be able to show that at all times, there is, even when somebody is like that, there's still going to be people who are rats in the end. Yep. Yeah. And you still love them because, you know, (laughs) they're part of your barnyard family. (laughs) Um, with Wilbur, you know, I thought it was interesting because he changes to an extent, but yeah, he doesn't like, he's still very much emotional, kind of a baby. You know, when yeah. he finds out that, that Charlotte is dying, it's almost the same reaction that he had at the very beginning when he found out he was dying. It, it's that his acceptance of death really hadn't come too far. I mean, how, how accepting are any of us? I know I, it's true when you find out a friend dies, but we know, I mean, the, the, there's the theory of it, you know, when somebody, when you hear about death, there's a theory, but actually to have something like that happen, like it's, it's as if we never knew it existed. Yeah, totally. But he, I think I, I do agree though, that he doesn't change very much. He is very, a very straight character, but I do think that he did change in the way of like at the end where he is super depressed and waiting for the eggs to hatch. And then Mm -hmm. he's even worse off when all of them are leaving and is like, Oh no, I thought this was going to like, he thought that he had like bought himself instant friends, not that he paid for anything, (laughs) but he, he thought, okay, well one friend died, but like I will for sure have all these brand new friends to make up. There's for 514 here. It's okay. <laughs> right. At least one of them. And, and again, change and kind of the, the way of life is they quickly hatch and move on. They know their purpose in life and they, they, they do their little floating spindle little threads and they float away and they say, bye, bye, bye. You know, and there's mm-hmm. no remorse. There's no attachment to him. They just know what their life's purpose is. And that is to go and find other places to populate and to become spiders. So I think it's interesting how a lot of the, a lot of the characters in this are focused on the quote runt of the litter. So you have, like, it's always looking at the the least of these in that way, uh, you know, the, the people who are lowest on the totem pole. And at, even at the very end, when you have the three little spiders that stay behind, the only reason they stay behind is because they were too small to leave. And so they're like, okay, and I'll just, I'll just stay here, I guess. And so all of his friends and all of the people that he ends up associating with are just kind of like default. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they didn't choose to stay there. It just happened to be. And so they're just working with what they got. I don't know. He was the runt, but through Charlotte, he was seen as more. And then he um, is able to now live a a life because of that. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. He becomes the Charlotte figure in the end to the little runts. You know, he's Mm -hmm. um, 
it's interesting that he, he takes on, he takes on that role, you know? Yeah. He, he becomes the, he, he copies even her, her words. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was just funny. I loved it. I, I, mean, I, I thought it was hilarious what he was like, do you know how to write? And they're like, no. <laughs> and then he says, it's like, okay, well, when you learn, this is what you're going to say. And it's this giant novel. Here <laughs> was the place of Charlotte. It was just hilarious to me. And they're like, that would take a lifetime. <laughs> like, but I mean, even looking at his response, that he's like, well, that's what we have. And like <laughs> taking, a, taking a lifetime to honor someone else. Like, wow. Right, right. That's, that's super yeah. deep. And and they go to say that, you know, they never did replace Charlotte and that he never had the bond with them that he did Charlotte. And I think that is true. And I think that was important to call out because mm-hmm. friends, you can't, you know, replace a child who has died or has been yeah. lost or a friend or a family member. You, as much as you want to try to replace them in your life, nothing will replace them. Right. And I think that was important to call out because friends and people aren't, replaceable. They're not just something that you can swap out and move on. And, uh, you know, I know cloning is a big thing or becoming a big thing for like animals and pets. Like, you know, people want to hold on to what they had, but that's just not life. You know, death is a natural part of it and we need to respect and honor the life lives that people have lived and remember them. And, you know, that's why he really wants to kind of like have this almost like a plaque over the, over the barn with, remembering her and everything that she did but in the end life goes on and I thought it was really funny at the very like the last line of the movie was essentially like and there never was a great of friend oh here we go here we go (laughs) and I think this is actually from the book Wilbur never forgot Charlotte although he loved her children and grandchildren dearly none of the new spiders ever quite took her place in his heart she was in a class by herself it is not often that someone comes along who is a true friend and a good writer. Charlotte was both. So initially when you hear that ending phrase, you could, you know, depending on the mood you're in, you could almost laugh, right? You think, oh yeah, you know, here she is. She's a (laughs) true friend and a good writer. And she was both. Yeah. You know, like (laughs) that that doesn't happen every day, but I think they're actually pretty powerful um, because it's, the story isn't necessarily just about friendship and how important that is, but it also very clearly lets us know the difference and the power that words have on people's lives. Yeah. So not only, you know, and and Charlotte was able to convey, you know, and save his life through the words that she was able to spin in her web. Um, But also the, you know, the words that she was able to say to him and their friendship was more than just her doing these acts of kindness for him. She truly was a friend. So I think that really is powerful way to end it. Like, obviously like I, snickered a little bit being like snarky as I am, you know, like good writer and a great friend. (laughs) But that it really, really is true that the words that we say can impact and change someone's life for the better. Uh, And the words that we write, and that's even so much more important in today's time of social media and where people just hide behind their computer screens and they think they can say whatever they want. And they don't realize that there is an actual person on the other end who words are real. Yeah. They affect how people feel. When that's the only thing you see too. Right. Exactly. So, you know, words in that case are even more powerful. Um, and so we need to be very conscious in how we use our words 
And we should be more like Charlotte in trying to uplift others and using our words, especially if we have a gift for words yeah, for good. I totally agree. And like, I've seen that even recently. I mean, you're, you're just, if you're on social media at all right now, especially in the United States is a, it's a political year. And so you have, everything is politically charged and people feel like it's somehow okay to throw like just really bad natured words at people. I think it's a lot more relatable to us in our generation than I think any other generation, interestingly enough, just because it's like, how do we talk to each other? We, right. I had, for me, I had a moment where I said, okay, how am I doing this? Am I, I, and I wanted to set myself at a higher standard too. It's like, okay, I want to be able to say that I am writing, what I am writing is going to be uplifting and it's not going to be destroying It's going to be something that like my words are my words laced in love and hope or malice and revenge. And there's a lot of the latter going around, but I, I, I feel like this is the time when like, we all just need to hold ourselves to a little bit of a higher standard and just be like, this is what I'm going to be focusing on. Cause in the end, like, why does this story stay within our hearts it be, it's because it does focus on the good and it does focus on real things and uh, the story, that power of love, the power of friendship, you know, when somebody loves you, miracles happen. You know, it's like if we focus more on that, then like attracts like. And so that's what, if you focus, if you're focusing on the other, you're going to get more of that in your life. You're, you're just going to. And, um, I just, that was, yeah, that was just something that came to me too. I, I do have to say, though, uh, as a, a caveat to that, if you are in an abusive relationship or a dangerous situation, get out. Like, this is not something to be like, oh, I'm going to nice my way out of this. Like, no, you need to just get out and mm-hmm. walk away from some stuff from something that is uh, in, in any way dangerous um, or abusive. So and that, that was another line, too, that in the very beginning, he's like, oh, you're beautiful. She's like, well, I am pretty. <laughs> and I was like, Charlotte, Charlotte has a lot of like, she knows who she is. She's like, confidence. Well, yeah, that confidence. Like, <laughs> we need to have that confidence and to be able to say, this is what I deserve. This is this is the, the type of treatment that I deserve and um, not settle for anything less, but also do it in with love. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I got a lot out of this for me. And I don't want to like come across as like a preachy episode at all, but I'm, but these are just the things that I got out of it. Oh, mm-hmm. like I said, I ugly cried. It, yeah. it got me. There were moments when I was thinking, I didn't cry, but there were moments when I would think about something like when I, when I realized, Oh yeah, Charlotte dies. I got like, I started to feel like I was getting ready to tear up. This was very early right. on because it's just been so long. I've just been so far removed. Like obviously anyone who's read the book or watched the movie knows that's what happens, but I just kind of forgot it. And as soon as I was like, Oh yeah, that's where we're going. I started to get really sad. And that's this very emotional film. And it just has these themes and it very simply presents these, you know, darker themes, but not necessarily dark. I mean, it's, it's neutral. Like death is neutral. It just, yeah, it is what it is. And, um, I asked the patrons, I said, thoughts on Charlotte's web. Again, another riveting question from me, but the patrons very, very much thought provoking. Good job. Yes. They have the, <laughs> the same sentiment. Rebecca said, I loved it. I think I saw this movie before ever getting introduced to the book. I remember it as sort of moody and whimsical. I think it captures the sadness of the story in a very beautiful way. 
Alex Beavis says, I love the movie as a kid. I love the songs and thought the characters were engaging. Several heartfelt moments, such as when the girl has to give Wilbur away. Overall, huge thumbs up for the movie. Joseph Ariola says, I don't remember much of the songs. I'll need to listen to them again. Charlotte was an adorable spider. And then the very last one, which is so true. Daniel Talbert says, never again, too many tears over a spider. (laughs) That is so true. So, so true. We've become very attached to her. Yeah. And just, you know, the way that she, she accepts her fate and she moves on and death happens like very quickly it's, it's emotional. It's sad. And we obviously see it through Wilbur's reaction, but we too have are are attached to her. So yeah. Oh, Charlotte. Well, I mean, this, our podcast is not a religious podcast guys. I I just want to put that out there. Um, but because of my background, this is the paradigm that I look at things and the things that stand out to me and really get me. And so I am sharing them only to share in a way of, of saying, this is why I love this film one point right when she was Wilbur's looking up they're at the fair and he looks up and he's like what are you doing Charlotte and I it kind of the whole dialogue back and forth almost came across because I had already had it in my mind that this was kind of like a a God situation that it kind of seemed like an evening prayer and uh because like I mean right now like with the society and everything just crazy Sometimes I you I feel like looking up and seeing like God, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what's going on? And Charlotte says, "Oh, making something, making something as usual." Wilbur really wants Charlotte to tell him, and she just says, "Well, I'll tell you in the morning, when the first light comes into the sky and the sparrows stir and the cows rattle their chains, when the rooster crows and the stars fade, when the early cars whisper along the highway, you look up here and I'll show you something." I will show you my masterpiece. And I just felt like that was just such, like it was just so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. How very special are we for just a moment to be part of life's eternal rhyme. How very special are we to have on our family tree, Mother Earth and Father Time. What would you rate it? I, uh, I have to give this a five star. I wow. mean, I do. It's just because it was so after it, di- it takes a couple, um, it takes a couple watches in order to get all that is in this out of it. I don't think, I think, um, cause I, I probably wouldn't have counted this before I made different, uh, made, I made different ties to it. I probably would have given it as far like if maybe four, four and a half in there, but just because of how it hit me when I was watching it this time, I just, I feel like I have to give it a five. Okay. I'm going to give this four and a half stars. I really was moved by the story and obviously the source material. And this is, I mean, there are almost, there are sections of the, there are sections of the movie that are word for word from the book. And I think they stayed very true to the source material while having to, you know, adapt it for a visual audience. And they did a really, really great job. The animation itself is not 
the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in the world. You know, the backgrounds, you know, I think during that very opening scene where it's like the title sequence, it's, there's no animation. It's just kind of like panning across backgrounds with like some effects here and there. So it's again, Hanna-Barbera, they were from the TV world of fast production where, you know, you have the constant walk cycles and all they would do was animate the head and very cheap animation because they had to quickly use these, these tricks and uh, cheats, I guess, to, to cut the costs. And so, you know, this is definitely elevated from their TV productions because they have a bigger budget, whatever that Uh may be. We do, the world will never know, but (laughs) nonetheless, it is not distracting and it, it's really good. The animation is, is decent as far as the character animation and, but really does and sells this is the story, which we've talked about the themes to most of the extent, the songs and the score and the voice acting, those things together really form this powerful film that, that has resonated and left a lasting impact on many people's lives. So for that reason, I'm going to give it four and a half stars. All right. All right. So we do have some voicemails. Let's start with Esther. Hey, Rotoscopers, it's Esther here. I hope that the three of you are all doing well. I realized that there are two animated films I wanted to suggest for you to do in the future. So one of them is Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Now, when I was growing up, I remember that Batman the Animated Series was on television. And I didn't watch it all the time constantly. But I would say it probably was um, the animated show that had the biggest impact on me. And it made me realize that animation could be, it didn't have to be silly all the time. It could be theatrical. It could be uh, tragic, uh, powerful, moving. So I really liked the Mask of the Phantasm film. That was a sort of a tribute to the animated series. And the other is Miyazaki's Castle in the Sky. That's the classic, iconic 80s fantasy film. It has that element of flight in it. And it also has Mark Hamill voicing the villain. So that's ah. awesome. Mark Hamill. And hope you get to watch both. those both and enjoy them. Thanks. I agree that those are that those are ones that we should look at. <laughs> yeah. First off, I love hearing Esther's voice. Esther has been a longtime fan and listener of the podcast and a new patron. Woo. And so I just love hearing your voice because when you call in, I don't know, I feel and you call in over and over and over again over the years. I really you have this deeper connection with the listeners because you the voice is so strong, you know? And so thank you. So thank you, Esther. And yes, those are fantastic. I really think that we should do Mask of the Phantasm sooner rather than later. I over the years, people had always been mentioning, mm-hmm. you know, this movie, this movie, and I it, it always it, it never um, was on my radar growing up. Like like Esther, the Batman '90s franchise was very much a part of my life and something that was you know very strong and something that I watched. And so I'm not sure how I missed it, but when I finally sat down and watched it, I was just so amazed of how good it actually is. So I think that is an yeah. incredible suggestion and I think we should add it to our list. Definitely. Right, I think we, we should do it next episode. Do we, do we think that we'll be able to get him back? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. I mean, I would love to have Mason on that one. That seems like one yeah, that might as well. he would, he would add a lot to it. We will see if he's available. <laughs> All right. And this one is from Chad. How do Rotoscopers chat here, sending in a voicemail for your watch of Charlotte's Web. I was really delighted that you guys were going to do this one, and I cannot wait to hear what you think of it. 
I did rewatch this in preparation for your review. And I, I don't know about you, but even with my nostalgia glasses on, I think it holds up wonderfully. I think the animation is cute. I think the voice acting is superb. I think the songs are catchy. And it still moves me. I mean, I still cry when Charlotte dies. Uh, one thing I did want to point out was uh, when I rewatched this, I was honestly surprised that I didn't realize who was in the voice cast. You've got Agnes Moorhead playing the goose, a.k.a. Uh, Andorra from Bewitched. And I, when I was growing up, I was a huge fan of Bewitched. But uh, yeah, I, I was amazed to see that Agnes was in it. Uh, the guy who also played Uncle Arthur in Bewitched does the rat. I cannot think of his name for some reason. Um, and, and Debbie Reynolds was Charlotte. That just makes it even more compelling. Um, but yeah, it was, it was honestly fun going back uh, and watching this film and kind of learning a bit more about uh, who was in the cast. And like I said, I still think it holds up. It's very, very sweet and uh, will definitely be one that I keep in my collection and probably watch when I'm 95 years old. So, yeah, um, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, like I said before, I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Later. Thank you so much, Chad. Yeah, it's actually interesting. The voice cast, we talked about a few of the characters, but he mentions from Bewitched, five members of the cast were from the Bewitched cast. That's so, so straight. Like very iconic. Yeah. Very, <laughs> I'm not, not strange, but it's like, is that random? Is that yeah, just, I mean, just because somebody really liked that show? <laughs> yes. Well, it that did was... end in 1972. So oh, they needed true. work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, uh, anything. Sure. But yeah. yeah that's that's, oh man. No, I really liked, uh, the the goose is one of my favorite characters. Like, I probably, probably could. Oh, you better get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. <laughs> Just, I loved it. Yeah. And her outlook on life is like, it was not luck. It was hard work as yes, far as yes. her, her, like, there is no luck about it. <laughs> yes. She was a great character. Although I was thinking this, you know, when they all go to have their swimming lesson and the runt doesn't want to join, I'm like, hmm. I think it's really important as a goose that he learns how to swim. <laughs> right. Mom, you need to be the mom here and force him to go. <laughs> but maybe he's one of those kids where it's like, Whew, I, I know you've only been hatched like three minutes, but you are a handful. So sure, you want to babysit? I've already got, go for I've got it. six others here to deal with. <laughs> Well, this is also coming from you who had both of their kids, both of your kids swimming at like six months old or something like that. <laughs> how old was it? Basically like nine months. Yeah. That's floating. Cool. They know how they know how to float and roll over and swim to the wall. So these are gotta these have are that necessary. safety skills. These are necessary for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chad. Also, Chad, your voice, awesome. It's very soothing to listen to you. I was like, oh, mm. what a soothing voice. Just just gonna throw it out there. All right. Any other, any other voicemails? Any other things? Nope. We'll wrap it up. Wrap it up. Cool. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us to this week on our episode for Charlotte's Web. We have, I mean, uh, we love throwing on the nostalgia glasses. We do that on occasion whenever we need a, a pick me up. And this one definitely was what I needed this week too. So I'm glad that we did it. Whoop, whoop. We have made the executive decision. We are going to do Mask of the Phantasm next. All of our Batman fans rejoice. Woo. And Woo. Mark Hamill for the win. Woo. 
So I'm very excited to be jumping in on that. And because, yeah, I saw this at least five years ago, probably for the first time. And so I was really, it was, I was very impressed too. So I'm excited to jump back in and watch it again. Yeah. So be sure to send in your voicemails for that. Also, we still are collecting voicemails for Toy Story 4 and Sailor Moon Rewatch coming down hopefully sometime soon in the near future. (laughs) Fingers crossed we can get Mason back for the next episode. But until next time, we we are the the Rotoscopers. Speaking of pig films, (laughs) that'll that'll do pig. That'll do pig. (laughs) We are the (laughs) Rotoscopers. Let's try that. That was probably the worst time we've done it like ever. (laughs) Ever. Yeah.